Abolition. Abolition.
You just heard Woke by Reconcile featuring Lacrae with a clip from Spike Lee's School Days and snippets from Reconcile's song 13th Amendment. Peace. My name is Yusuf Hassan and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. As always, I'm joined by my partner, my brother, my mellow, my man, Max Parthis. Peace, Uh, Max. Peace, Brother Yusuf. I'm here broadcasting live from the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina. Hey, Max, that uh, opening track was tough, man. That was really tough. That was tough. I'm woke, I'm hype, I'm supercharged now. How about you? I was hoping hoping everybody would feel that same (laughs) way. You know what I mean? Like, all right, wake up, wake up. Woke, woke, because, you know, we are woke now. It's hitting the fan. The movement is moving, (laughs) you know? Absolutely. It's time for some action. Time for some action. So we'll continue to update you on the states with ballot initiatives to end legal slavery. We're down to the wire now and ready to get these historic victories under our belts. One more again, we're going to drop the people's elbow on some of these preposterous pro-slavery arguments. Of course, we've got amazing new music to share, and we'll honor the ancestors by our Bridging the Gap segment. We're going to keep the lines open tonight, and we expect some special calls to come in. The number is 515-605-9814. Remember to press 1 on your keypad so we could, we know you have a question or comment. So, you ready to get down, Max? Oh, man. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I've been under weather. I, I was in the hospital the night before last, and they told me I got early pneumonia, but they wouldn't keep me in because of COVID, you know. They can't free up any beds. So they just gave me some meds and some antibiotics and sent me home. And, uh, you know, I've just been relaxing, doing some production work and getting ready for today. It's the uh, first day of the Free the 13th national event, man. So uh, they already did that thing out in Texas with uh, Sister mm-hmm. Savannah Eldridge and, and the folks out there. That was awesome. They built a prison cell like they have in Texas without the air conditioning or heat and had the people come in it to experience what it feels like to be locked in these little-ass cells. So they had mm. created with the toilet and the bed and all of that. And most people just can't 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 deal with it. It's torture, literally torture. So that was the first part of the Free the 13th joint. And uh, we're part of it here today, right now. And then tomorrow they start the speakers. That's that's amazing, you know. Shout out to uh, Samantha. Savannah, you know, yeah. with uh, Savannah. Yeah, I'm sorry, Savannah. Yeah. I don't know why I said Samantha, but definitely shout out to everyone that's going to be involved in you know the coming days of all the events. You know, I was looking through the uh, list of speakers, and it's sort of like who's who of the movement. We have a little <laughs> yeah. bit of very diverse. Many different organizations coming together under one cause, you know, so it was great seeing that. 
Absolutely. I see we got a couple of callers already. Uh, listen, if you want to say something, we're going to keep the lines open throughout the whole evening. So press one on your keypad. That way we know uh, we need to unmute you because you, you have a question or a comment. But if you just want to listen to, that's cool. Just go ahead and listen. Uh, but I was thinking about the history that just we just made with the abolitionist movement in New Jersey. And again, I'm so proud that it's my home state and my hometown is down with it too. Uh, so they had the hearings for SCR 96 on October the 20th in New Jersey, out Trenton, where they talked about inserting this anti-slavery language into the state constitution as a counter to the 13th Amendment's allowance for slavery. And uh, to hear the testimony was awesome, man. I even got to hear my name called out in Jersey. I'm like, yeah, I'm over in South Carolina, still kicking ass in Jersey, yeah. <laughs> Thanks to my man, Dennis Spiebo, for that, for sure, for giving me that yes, ability, that ability yes, to stay connected to the home state. So since nobody wants to say anything, how about if we just go into that? Because it's kind of long, but it's so worth it. And you're listening to history being made because this has never happened before. No state has ever argued in their Senate that they need to insert anti-slavery language because the federal constitution allows it. This is the first, y'all, and here we go, all right? NJSC R96 hearing, October 20th, Max Mix. Abolition. Do it. Abolition. Yo, what's up? This is Queen Latif in the house. Definitely representing Jersey on the love, love. Cooling in Cali, shooting living single, but damn, I miss home. Okay. Senate Concurrent Resolution 96. This Constitution Amendment prohibits slavery or involuntary servitude in the state of New Jersey, including as punishment for a crime. Involuntary servitude is the course service of one's individual for the benefit of another. Currently, the state constitution does not include any language concerning slavery or involuntary servitude. The 1776 and 1844 versions of the Constitution also did not include any mention of slavery or involuntary servitude. This amendment adds language to Article 1 expressively prohibiting slavery and involuntary servitude. The amendment also directly prohibits slavery and involuntary servitude as punishment for a crime. Prisoners in New Jersey are required to engage in labor for a minimal pay while they are incarcerated. The state should not have the power to compel individuals to labor against their will. This amendment ensures that no prisoner in this state will be involuntarily forced into labor, even if the labor performed by the prisoner would be compensated. However, this amendment would not take away voluntary opportunities to work for individuals who have been convicted of a crime. The state recognizes that work can assist in an individual's rehabilitation, improve practical and interpersonal skills that may be useful upon their reintegration with society, and contribute to healthier and safe uh, penal environments. There we go. All right, so I think all of these are in favor with no need to testify. I'm just going to read through them, and then if there's anyone that wants to testify, uh, we'll do that at the end. All right, in favor, no need to testify. Dennis Fabio, Maria J. Andrade, Terry Dahir, Akir Elbey, Jonathan Fernandez. I think that's the least. 
Ken Ritchie, Abrian Nunez, Lucia Torres, Percy Cotton, Casey Walker, Alfred Witcher, Rebecca Carger, Antonin Henshaw, Jennifer Erezio, Max Parthas, Lisa Conforti, Derek Thompson, Sam Pesson, Harana Adiazu, Sandra Field, Victoria Abakumova, Sean Anako, Chris Barry, Ashley Bromley, Stephen Campos, Hilary Chabra, Jay Colcol, Antonio Del Valle, Denise Doran, Munira El Bamani, Miles Gilberti, Katai Giovanetti, Robin Gorman, Benjamin Guy, Anton Henshaw, I think that's a repeat, uh, Eric Cushman, Sam Magid, Dana Mondori Patton, Abdul Haq Mohammed, Abba Perez, Francine Pfeiffer, Sandra Robinson Green, Herbita Saha, Boris Sahari, Elisa Soleto, Rose Soleto, Stephen Young, Amanda Zorin, Lynn Rickert, Alexander Kettles, Jose Avelez, Michael Von Brunt, LeVar Davis, Sharon Howard, and Tony Perkins. Is there anyone here that would like to testify that? Sir, why don't you come on up, give us your name. There we go. All right. Um, thank you, Honorable Committee Chair and members of the committee, for the opportunity to testify in support of SDR 96. To prohibit slavery or involuntary servitude in the state of New Jersey, including as a punishment for a crime. And as I've introduced myself, my name is Reverend Eric Cuspin. I serve at St. Bartholomew's Lutheran Church right here in the city of Trenton. And I'm also here as a member of Faith of New Jersey and also a formerly incarcerated person. Uh, the U.S. has 5% of the world's population, yet it's home to quarter of the prison population. The reality is in this country, one in three black boys that are being born today can expect to go to prison. And that's a fact. Um, there are so many pieces that contribute to this reality, and one is the economic dimension. Because we all know in 1865, with the passing of the 13th Amendment, there was the clause added for involuntary servitude in the United States or the territories thereof, which also infected the Jim Crow laws, that a lot of these laws are still not off the books. Um, incarcerated peoples are a growing source of labor, where now people can be paid roughly, if they're lucky, and get a good job behind the institution, a dollar a day, which most of that money goes to fines. And if anybody knows anything about our institutions, you have to buy soap and shampoo. It is not provided for you, right? So the 13th Amendment never abolished slavery. That's a fact. It only abolished slavery in one form. It evolved into new forms, and that's certainly one of them today, prison labor. As one who's been incarcerated, I've experienced the injustice of making 15 cents an hour for grueling work in two of our New Jersey state institutions. In some ways, 
There's conditions that under our penal system that's worse than slavery. As prisons are under no obligation to care for their forced laborers, and behind the institutions we are provided little health care, nutritious food, or proper clothing for the tasks that they ask us to do. Facts. Um, prisoners who do not agree to such abject slavery are put into solitary confinement. I know from personal experience. And that, but that has not prevented me speaking out against the appalling conditions inside New Jersey prisons. I've seen prisoners beaten by guards, starved, have their property systematically destroyed. What is worse and horrific, I also realized that 90% of the people that were with me were people of color. Again, slavery never went away. It only changed its face. For such a time as this, we must struggle for racial justice and racial healing in our country. We can see the specificity of God's love in Black Lives Matter. And until we can join with God and say that, we haven't healed from the racial history of our country. It would be impossible to think of my Christianity outside of the past when Christians said all people were created equal, but really meant all white people are created equal. Now we are engaged in some holy healing, a righteous reckoning, and this bill presented before you all today is part of God trying to help set the record straight. Justice has a name now, and we've seen it through the headlines, and I'm just sitting here today listening to the stories. But also we have Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, Sandra Bland, Jameek Lowry from Patterson, New Jersey, and Sundiata Akoli. We can't just talk about injustice, we have to name those who suffer from injustice. Those who are incarcerated are in fact suffering under an archaic slavery law. We can't make injustice history until we make injustice personal. And ending this New Jersey slavery clause is personal for all of us. So today I again to implore you to strike it. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend, for the very moving testimony. I'm going to now turn this over to the chairman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> Thank you, Reverend, for your testimony. Uh, Senators, any uh, questions, comments? Okay. Okay. Um, I have a comment from the Assemblywoman that would like uh, me to read this into the record. I'll do that, and then if there's no other comment, um, we'll vote, okay? This is from uh, Assemblywoman McKnight. Um, thank you, Chairman Beach, Vice Chair uh, Adiego, members of the Senate Government Wagering Tourism Historic Preservation Committee for allowing me to provide testimony in support of SCR 96. The companion of uh, my bill, ACR 145. Thank you to Senator Rice for uh, partnering with me uh, to fight this fight. SCR 96 seeks to amend our state constitution to explicitly prohibit slavery or involuntary servitude, including as punishment for a crime abolitionist Frederick Douglass uh, called slavery the greatest sin and shame of America. For 246 years, the institution of uh, chattel slavery was commonplace in our nation. 
However, with the ratification of the 13th Amendment, slavery and involuntary servitude um, were abolished, except as a punishment for a crime uh, whereof the party shall have uh, been duly convicted. This clause created a loophole which gave way to convict leasing um, and eventually to uh, uh, current practices used in our prison system, essentially slavery in a new, in a new form. Mass incarceration has dis disproportionately affected black New Jerseyans, according to the sentencing project. Black people in New Jersey are incarcerated at a rate 12 times higher than their white counterparts. Inmates have required, uh, have been, are required to engage in labor for minimal pay while they are incarcerated, often for the same companies that uh, won't hire them upon release. Private correctional facilities in many cases rely on the labor of inmates to increase profitability in operations. The amendment of the amend the 13th Amendment uh, must be looked at as, as uh, both social justice and human rights issue. This amendment seeks to ensure that no inmate in the state would be involuntarily forced into labor uh, but does not take away voluntary op opportunities to work as the state uh, recognizes the voluntary opportunities can exist in an individual's rehabilitation and improvement of interpersonal skills. As the Senate continues to make changes to laws and policies that adversely impact people of color, we must address the systematic barriers uh, that are placed in the 13th Amendment. New Jersey must stand firm in its commitment for justice and equality by explicitly prohibiting slavery and involuntary servitude in our Constitution with no exceptions. Thank you for your time and I urge you to join me in supporting SCR 96 today. So thank you to the Assemblywoman. Any questions? Concerns? Um, yes, so we do have to vote, so, uh, motion? No, we don't have to, we don't have to vote. I vote, I vote yes also. How about you, Senator Turner? Okay. Thank you so much for Thank coming for up, Reverend. Time. Appreciate it. All right. Everybody stay safe, all right? All right. Seeing no other, uh, is there anything else we need to do in the way of business? Okay, meeting adjourned. Thank you. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. 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 Yo, that's abolition today. <laughs> Not yesterday. Oh, man. Today. man, man, man. That's what I'm saying, brother. Ooh. Wow, man. Wow. Never happened wow. before. It's the first time. Last time they amended their constitution was 1770-freaking-5. And look what we're doing now. Right. Brother Whew. said, you can't make, he said, you can't make injustice history till we make it personal. We got to make it personal. So, yeah, I think he's right on that. And it's, 
And just to recap for anyone that's just tuning in, what we were just listening to was the uh, the state senate hearing on New Jersey SCR 96, which is a uh, motion to or uh, what we call it motion out of motion, uh, whatever. But it's it was uh, a resolution. Yes, a, yeah, a bill a resolution to amend the New Jersey Constitution to input anti-slavery language into the Constitution because currently New Jersey doesn't have any type of uh, clause as as it applies to the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. So New Jersey wants to, or movements have been made to amend the New Jersey Constitution to add that language in there, sort of a uh, a preemptive move in case New Jersey ever decided in the future that they wanted to try to do that or private prisons wanted to come in here and try to do that. So that was the hearing that was held on October 20th, you know, yes. and, and it was part of a max mix. So it's some great <laughs> music, you know, behind it. Jersey you know, music, thank brother. the brother that, yeah, I, I recognize, mm-hmm. I recognize. You know, and, you know, we thank the brother uh, from Trenton, the reverend, yes. you know, great words that he spoke, great words from uh, from state uh, Senator McKnight, McKnight yeah. after the speech, and definitely big ups to our brother Dennis, man, because Dennis has been basically, you know, the main one pushing this. He initiated it and got everyone all over the state to get involved with it. So it appears that they voted in favor of it. Am I correct, Max? Um, yes. As you heard, it was adjourned with no questions and no no arguments. <laughs> you know, there it went. Okay, so what happens now? I guess we'll wait for hopefully Dennis calls in soon and can yeah. tell us what to expect now on that. Yeah, hopefully. He said we got to make this not only just a social justice issue, but a human rights issue. And that's what we've been saying on this program since day one. That's what I've been saying since day one. And that's really the, right. the dividing line. It's a human rights issue. We're having a violation of human rights as well as constitutional rights. So that's what crime against humanity because of the sheer magnitude of what's happening. And because we've got right. so many, much, the justice system is so top-heavy, it's so huge, it, it has become the top industry in many states who depend on that imprisonment for their very survival economically. And they know that, and they use these things as economic development programs uh, to incarcerate people, turn them into property, and uh, sometimes force them to work. Most of the time, uh, the whole purpose is just to put them in a cell because every, you know, depending on how many prisons and cells they have is how much money they get for their budget. <laughs> and that's how many jobs they right. create. You know, in Alabama, right. they went from 700 jobs. And now with these new prisons they're building, they're going to go up to 1,400 jobs. And that was their main goal, they said, the production, the jobs, the income, all of that. Nothing about justice. And we end up being the targets as people of color, black people in particular, end up being the targets. What did the dude say? Right. In New Jersey, it's 12 to 1. 12 to 1 make up 14% of the population 
and 54% of the prison population. That's crazy, man. It's, yeah. It says so yeah, that, much. that is really crazy. <laughs> and, you know, I know a lot of people like to talk about, oh, mass incarceration. But if it was mass incarceration, then we wouldn't see the sentence disparities or the disparities in who's actually incarcerated. You know, as as we were talking about Nebraska last week, you know, where uh, blacks make up about 2% of the state's population, but they outnumber uh, whites in the penal institutions, what was it, 14 to 1? Yes. Some outrageous number like that. So if it was mass incarceration, then we wouldn't see disparities of such large numbers like that because that would just mean, you know, the population is being arrested and convicted. No, there's a specific section, and we, time and time again, week after week, since we've been on the air since March 15th, and long before we came on the air, we've shown step by step how it links all the way back to chattel slavery. Right, unbroken line from chattel slavery through convict leasing and chain gangs, and then into mass incarceration and convict leasing, and then finally into Mm -hmm. warehousing of bodies, mass warehousing of bodies. And that's the model that we now uh, imported across the world. So these companies here, you mentioned earlier before we went on air about Geo Group, how much money they spent Mm -hmm. on this election. In that article that you read, what was it, 85% of the election money came from freaking prison? <laughs> from the prison? 85, uh, 85% of it came from Geo Group. 90%. Geo. Okay, it was $2.1 million in donations to political candidates and political action committees. 90% of that money went to support Republicans. 85% of that money went to Geo Group. And the rest going to core civic and management and training corporation, the three big corporations. And they the three biggest, yeah, and the three biggest recipients of private prison money in 2020 are Colorado Senator Cory Gardner, uh, Kentucky Senator Mitch McConnell, who's also uh, uh, the House uh, Senate Majority Leader. Senate Majority Leader, yeah. Right, and President Donald Trump. So those are the three that got the most. And it says since 1990, private prisons have spent 73% of their donations on Republican candidates or groups. Yeah, and then that's where the, the, there's literally writing our laws, too, through Alex as members of the American Legislative Exchange Council. You know, we've seen senators get up on the floor and introduce bills or Signed bills that literally had the, the letterhead of the Geo Group at the top <laughs> where right. they wrote it. If anybody ever right. seen the film Thirteenth, you'll see that you know where they actually have the Geo Group right there at the letterhead, word for word writing our laws like three strikes laws, mandatory minimum laws. Uh, those things came from prison companies, and you know why they're writing them because they need more people in prisons <laughs> so they can make more money. Absolutely. And now they're uh, I think G4S is about to be bought out by another company, but G4S is actually the majority of it is owned by the Geo Group, so it's like one company. Right. And G4S is the largest private employer on the entire continent of Africa. <laughs> they, they, on the entire continent of Africa, they're the largest private employer, right. a prison company. 
that's how it's being exploited worldwide. Uh, remember, we're going to keep the lines open tonight, 515-605-9814. We're going to be focusing on the states that are involved in their ballot initiatives to remove slavery or prevent slavery in their state, which is, oh, man, monumental and historic. If you got a question or comment, remember to press 1 on your keypad and let us know that way. Uh, otherwise, we're just going to keep the conversation going, keep letting you know what's happening. One of the biggest stories coming out right now that I, I want to make sure I get out there is what's happening with the OxyContin maker. Uh, you know, they mm-hmm. are pleading guilty to federal criminal charges, and they're paying as much as $8 billion. They're being forced to close down the company. They're in bankruptcy. And the Department of Justice is basically saying that they are responsible for more than 470,000 deaths in the country since 2000. Let me say that again. This company is responsible for a half a million deaths since 2000. And they said that this uh, conclusion that they have here now is not the end. This Sadler family who owns the company is still liable for prosecution. Um, I mean, you're talking genocide when you talk a half a million deaths, man. That, that's a freaking genocide. Right. And they said that this is going right. to directly affect the treatment now that people will be getting because of their addictions to these opioids. But my question is, what about the people who were incarcerated because of their addictions to these opioids? Do they somehow now uh, get a get-out-of-jail-free card because you found out that someone was purposely addicting communities? It doesn't appear that way because – you know, whenever we uh, hear these types of uh, situations coming up, there's never any talk of that. I mean, even as we talk, we hear many times I'm talking about uh, 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 making marijuana legal. There's never any talk of, you know, all the people that are sitting in prison for simple marijuana possessions or marijuana was the quote-unquote probable cause for some type of illegal search technique, you know. So, yeah, we never hear that type of talk because we know why they need those bodies there. We talk about it all the time. We know that there's a price on every head. Everybody inside of a prison is no different than a box on a shelf in a warehouse. It represents income. You know, so that's why we never hear anything about, okay, let's go back and look at people who, you know, drugs were part of why a person committed a crime or what or what they found on someone. You know, many people just sitting there for simple possessions. Simple possessions. Simple possessions. And they become state property. Like, once you're convicted, it doesn't matter what you're convicted for. If you're convicted of a felony in the United States of America, you are now state property, period. There's no exceptions to that. You no longer have rights as a human being or a citizen. You lose all of that. The only right you got left is what the prisons decide you should have, and that's it. And, and, And then when you get out, you have to pay your time. It's still the same thing. There's nothing in the Constitution that says... Once you're released, you're no longer state property or you're no longer subject to this 
us this clause in the 13th Amendment. People, because of that, we've got, what did they say recently? 5.5 million people can't vote. And I think that's underselling it. I got a feeling it's probably near to double that number. That's just the ones yeah, that they, yeah, they, they think is out there. It's probably double that number. And these aren't just any old people because 94% of the prison population are men. So you're talking about a lot of black men who can't vote. Like in Florida, what was it? Like one in four couldn't vote uh, until they put this bill forward that uh, changed that in Florida. And and now they want us, the black men to vote for, for Biden. You know, they're, they're, they're ready to blame black men if they lose. Like it, it, it could come down to just whether black men or not vote for Biden because a lot of them are going over to Trump, which I, I don't see. But that's the argument that they're making. And I'm like, damn, don't right. y'all count about all these, you know, there's 145 million white men. What the hell is you pointing at black men for? <laughs> you know? Right. Talk to them people over there. But, uh, you know, probably three states are on the ballot to get, get it done this year. Nebraska being one of them. And I got an article that I read from Reason Foundation in regards to mm-hmm. the arguments for and against what's happening over in Nebraska. Let me read the uh, opponent's arguments against to you verbatim. There is no official opposition to Amendment 1. <laughs> That's a reason uh, foundation, man. Uh, I, I, I need to be a brief with what they said after that, but there's no official opposition against it. I mean, who would vote against ending slavery? Like, it's crazy, man. And they said the discussion is, the important symbolism of remo- removing any use of slavery from the state constitution is obvious. In this case, convicted criminals lose many of their rights and may be required to work involuntarily uh, servitude if they don't want to work, but they don't become property. Arguably, the question Amendment 1 raises whether prison managers force forcing prisoners to work is just or not. And we all know that's unjust. So, you know, they went into mm-hmm. work programs, but as the brother said in New Jersey, this is not stopping voluntary work, involuntary work. It's stopping slavery. So when you can't punish somebody who says, no, I don't want to do your damn job. <laughs> I'm an innocent person, and you want me to work for free? The hell no. And, and you can't be punished for that. As you remember with that commercial we played here on air, where they appealed to the public to use prison labor one of the things they said was we have a workforce that has no days off. They don't have babysitter problems. There's no commuting problems. And going to work is just as simple as walking down the hall. See, they're assuming everybody wants to do that. 11 cents an hour stuff. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. And, well, they, I'm gonna, and they definitely don't. I'm going to go ahead and remind you guys again. We'll keep the lines open. You got something to say. Just press one on the keypad. The call-in number is 515-605-9814. Uh, you're here listening to Abolition Today with Yusuf Hassan and Max Pontus. And uh, we're going to keep it moving, man. Let's go ahead and play a little bit of a clip that we heard from the presidential debate recently. Uh, and I thought it was profound, and here <laughs> it is. We'll talk about it on the other side. But it's going to be followed by Napoleon the Legend, Mass Incarceration. As always here at Abolition Today, We keep it real with the music and the conversation. We'll be right back. Abolition. 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 The laptop is Russia. Gentlemen, I want to say on the issue of race. I I am the least racist person. I can't even see the audience because it's so dark. 
but I don't care who's in the audience. I'm the least racist person in this room. Abraham Lincoln here is one of the most racist presidents we've had in modern history. He pours fuel on every single racist fire, every single one. Started off his campaign coming down the escalator saying he's getting rid of those Mexican rapists. He's banned Muslims because they're Muslims. He has moved around and made everything worse across the board. He says to the, about the poor boys, last time we were on stage here, he said, I told him to stand down and stand ready. Come on. This guy is a dog whistle about as big as a foghorn. You have done nothing other than the crime bill, which put oh God. Th- tens of thousands of black men, mostly, in jail. All right, let me, you know let, what? Me, let me they ask remember Vice it President because Biden if you look at what's happening with the voting right now, let me ask they Vice remember President that Biden they treated them very, very badly. In the belly of the beast, they treat us like livestock, selling us a dream. It's to demonize the skin color, kids suffer from a broken family structure. And when they cash them and they taste us, laughing in our face while they distracted and insane us. It's the Ben facts and disgraces from the past to present day, it's mass incarceration. Uh, lift the veil up, the system has failed us. Two million of us sitting in jail, what they selling us is lies. Where it's heaven when you live in the hell? You can't see it, but you feel it like it's written in braille. They introduced the indentured servants as the workers, now slaves. Basically the same concepts were worded. Poor white folks, angry, broken, disenfranchised, offensive racism to justify the apartheid is politics. Due to the pressure, Lincoln abolished it. After the Civil War, the Economy dip. Four million black slaves were freed. Industry suffered. Eventually, they locked them up and made them work for nothing. Reconstruction, vagrancy laws made public. Anything you do will put you in front of these judges. Whites started working with blacks. Party was populist. Then they created segregation to put a stop to this. Intro to Jim Crow laws with a pen stroke. The syndrome expanding. Black and brown people been broke. Similar to poor white folks, but they divided us. Ku Klux Klan is ISIS terrorizing us. After World War II, things were pretty critical, criticizing Nazis, looking hypocritical, civil rights act was signed, okay fine now, beat the second verse for what was next in line, cause in the belly of the beast, they treat us like livestock, selling us a dream, it's to demonize the skin color, kids suffer from a broken family structure, and when they cash your and they taste us, laughing in our face while they distracted and insane us, it's to bend facts and disgraces from the past to present day, it's mass incarceration. Black and brown represent the outcast, racial caste is foul, like tackling, grabbing a face mask. Prison is privatized and the profits keep rising. Comics are released without any means to survive. Post-racist America with laws is colorblind. You can never get the truth by discovering a lie who advocates for the inmate, regarded as a criminal. Families torn with penitentiaries are the ritual. The poor get stuck in courtrooms. It's the war against drugs, another way to wage war against us. In other words, a hood's over-policed and underserved. Gentrification bringing hunger wars up in the burbs. Jim Crow's upgraded when they sent us upstate. I walked the street with a chip in an indigenous face. Complexity of my essence complicit with my complexion. Culturally conflicted in the system I was bred in. Shell shock. Free us from the cell block. Sell off all your gel stock. Right to your senator. Flood a mailbox. Stereotypes have to change too. What's the movement? No more cooning to entertain you. Cards on the table for change. You Driven, true in what we live in, and birthing a new system with the taboos lifted. The reality is blatant, kicking the door down with the audacity to change it. In the belly of the beast, they treat us like livestock, selling us a dream. It's to demonize the skin color, kids suffer from a broken family structure. And 
when they capture and they taste us. Laughing in our face while they distracted and entertain us. It's the Ben Facts and the disgraces from the past to present day. It's mass incarceration. It is a tragedy that we're now counting down the days of the first African American accident on African in the history of the United States. And when he leaves, you will still have the greatest incarcerator on earth at work and growing and continuing to divest and destroy and diminish the lives of millions of people. The fact that you could have a black presidency and not put a dent in that hellhole is startling. Tragedy, you know, on a grand stage. Abolition. 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 Brother Yusuf. Wow. Yeah, that was tough. That was, uh, it began with the presidential debate, clips from the presidential debate of Joe Biden and Donald Trump, followed by Napoleon the Legend, mass incarceration. <sighs> so much to unwind. Unwrapped Man. from that, you know. That was a history uh, lesson. Yeah, in five minutes. Yep, broke <laughs> it down. The history lesson in five minutes of so the whole scenario from beginning to now. Awesome, man. Uh, and you know, a and, lot of people. And I was I think, sitting around. Right. No, go ahead, brother. I was gonna say a lot of people might think, you know, Max, you play a lot of hip hop. Well, you got to understand, I am hip hop. I was there at the birth of it, not as a witness, but as a participant. My children were the first rap family in the history of hip-hop music. I am hip-hop. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why I play a lot of hip-hop. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, whip, out the news, whip out the newspaper article on them, brother. That's what the newspaper even said. The first yeah. family of hip-hop. <laughs> but, but what I was going to say is, you know, as I was watching that debate, and I think the host, Kristen Welker, did a disservice to... The American people, when Donald Trump posed the question to Joe Biden about that crime bill, and I'm sure her producers were in her ear and made her change the topic. Because Joe Biden is still not answered for that. No, no real answer. No, and he was at the nerve right to say, oh, God, like, I'm tired of you some yeah. bitches asking me about this crime exactly. bill. Exactly. Heck, he's fed up about us asking about it. And he was right there in front of the entire country, and they cut into it to change the topic. Yeah, man. And you Trump, know, you know, Trump was just being Trump. I, I don't even know if he even, you know, recognizes, you know, the level of what he had just put on the table at that point. He undersold it. I don't know. Change. He undersold it. Yeah. He said like tens of thousands. Nah, try millions. 670,000 right. go in every year. 670,000 come out. Every day, 13,000 people are arrested and sent to jail. That's the numbers we're talking about right there. Enough. Just If you just took the people who were killed by police and by guards inside, whether through force or negligence, you could fill an entire 50,000-man arena with dead bodies in 10 years. That's right. how many get killed. And we're talking 26 years since the crime bill was signed. Right. 26 years. 
So, and you could see the chart went up like 800%, and it was all tied into the birth of the for-profit private prison, the GEO Group, which back then was called the Wackahuts Correction Corporation, and along with CCA, which started with Reagan. So, yeah, man, he had eight years, like Trump said, to do something, but I ain't do nothing about it. All of a sudden, now you care? It's just, you know, we're in an impossible situation, which is one of the reasons why here we have decided to introduce our own presidential candidate so we can sleep at night with our votes, <laughs> you know? Exactly. And he'll be on next week, right, again, uh, Mark Charles. That's right, inshallah, God willing. Yeah, yes, sir. Inshallah. Mark Charles will be back with us next week. It would be great, great to hear from him again, great to hear his updates. Uh, I did see in a post earlier today that he's he's in, he's he's uh, on the ballot in enough states to be able to get the 270 electoral votes. <laughs> now we just need uh, both of the candidates to get COVID or something or get, somehow lose or be prosecuted for some major crime. Like, y'all can't even run now. Y'all in prison. So what's left? Here come Mark Charles. <laughs> hey, we, <laughs> you know, win, lose, a draw in many history. Yeah, many miracles have happened throughout history, so we just never know. But uh, never know. But I'll be able to sleep at night. And, and, yeah, I tell people all the time I can vote with my conscience because normally I don't I don't vote in the presidential election. You know, and anyone who wonders why, well, you can go back and listen to our episode called Blame the Presidents, and you can really understand why. Because each president, no matter Republican or Democrat, they all carry a legacy with them. And that legacy is to carry on slavery, because that's what we care about. Don't hate on us. They all carry on our convictions. We just we might you know. know something you don't, and that's why we're saying things like this, you know, like the whole slavery right. thing, <laughs> you know, the whole slavery thing might be something. I just anyway, I, I don't want to get into the political debates of who to vote for, who not to vote for. I've already voted. My right. wife's already voted. We're done. We're done with this. This is in my rearview mirror now. I'm dealing with modern day slavery, human trafficking. I'm gonna work on that. Because whoever's elected, we're still going to be working on that to get her done. Exactly. And uh, we haven't so, had uh, much. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, brother. Oh, I was going to say uh, we just passed an uh, an ugly anniversary in the history of the United States, October twentieth, sixteen sixty nine. Does that date ring a bell to you, brother Max? Yes, that was the day that the. Uh, they authorized owners to kill rebellious slaves in Virginia. Uh, the Casual yes, Killing Act, which we had a program yes, all about, the Casual Killing Act of 2020, uh, which is something that we saw with the Aubrey case. So that, yeah, yes, that aired on May 10th. Yeah, May 10th, 2020 was our uh, ninth episode, the Casual Killing Act of 2020. And on October 20th, 1669, the Virginia Colonial Assembly enacted a law that removed criminal penalties for enslavers who killed enslaved people resisting authority. The assembly justified the law on the grounds that the obstinacy of many enslaved people cannot be suppressed by other than violent means. The law provided that an enslaver's killing of an enslaved person could not constitute murder because the premeditated 
uh, premeditated malice element of murder could not be formed against one's own property. Huh. Yeah. So let's huh. absorb that for a second. Mm-hmm. You can't go and to jail for killing even... your couch. Exactly. And that's exactly what the law said. It's property. What are you talking about? You can't have premeditated malice for property. And as uh, Dr. Joy DeGry had mentioned in her speech in breaking down the law, she said it was mainly enacted to protect white women because they were beating black children to death. So, yeah. But, you yeah, know, it's an ugly anniversary. We could take it forward to... November twenty sixth or November twenty sixth, eighteen sixty three, um, and it was a letter. My brother Halisi Moyo sent me this collection of letters from around the Civil War, before and after, written uh, mm-hmm. back and forth for people who was involved in it, uh, black soldiers and stuff like that. And one of them stood out for me. I want to read this so people understand where our police force comes from. And how the thinking process worked. Just like what you just heard about the Casual Killing Act. This was uh, 1863, which almost two centuries later. <laughs> it says, uh, President Kenansville, North Carolina, 25th November, 1863. His Excellency, President Davis, a perfect stranger, presumes to address you in behalf of his countrymen. Sometime during the past year, the governor of this state ordered to detail a patrol guard for this county amounting to 20 men. And immediately thereafter, the citizens made up a fund and purchased a pack of hounds at heavy cost to accompany them. And I have no fears of contradiction when I say they have been of great service in preventing escapes of slaves and also preventing desertions. The governor issued his order to the colonel of the county, and he made his appointments under my advisement as chairman of the county court as also of other citizens which he relied upon for counsel. The appointment, I think, was a good one, and by no means reflecting on your respectable troops in this county, I must be pardoned for saying that the said patrol had been the ounce of prevention in place of the pound of cure. We are here not far distant from the Yankee lines, and you know, you well know a good watch should be kept. Since the organization of this company, there has been no attempts of escapes by the slaves but one, save in the raid in July. And a whole number of Negroes, save one, and he was shot and killed near the Yankee lines, were captured and returned to their owners through this company. I have just heard that said company has been disbanded and the members of the company conscripted. I hope it is not so, but if such be the order, I hope your excellency will reverse the order and commission the said company to attend to their former duties. Ours is a most defenseless section. And this guard we consider a very valuable outpost. It secures us from escapees and deserters and is also an important courier establishment to the army. They quartering and maneuvering on or near the line of separation. I repeat my question request that your excellency will continue the protection to this section by continuing the patrol of organized mention without much respect. I have the honor to be your obedient servant, Jer Purcell, reverence, 
And that's 1863, man. He's like, yo, we got these hounds chasing these Negroes down, and they ain't even trying to get out after the hounds and killed them. We shot one, murdered him, so, you know, everybody saw that. And uh, now that we stick the dogs on them, they ain't even trying to get away. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. What was that you were reading again, Max? You snuck that one in on me. Yeah, that was uh, a letter from the North Carolina slaveholder to the Confederate president. He was out of Kenansville, North Carolina, November 27, 1863, mm-hmm. and his name was Jer, J E R E P E A R S A L L, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Mm-hmm. It's got to be some kind of southern slang to it. Powell <laughs> Yeah, probably like Powell. Oh, yeah, or something. <laughs> yeah, you know how they, they roll. But that's the mentality wow. we've been dealing with from the beginning, man. From the very beginning, like property, we, we don't want to get human rights, and you take them away legally. Now we lose them completely, citizen rights and human rights, simply because we were convicted of any crime whatsoever. And people want to argue against that, man. <laughs> like, wait a minute, what about the labor? The labor is being ex- has been explained. No involuntary labor. So what's the problem now? Right. And then you hear, you know, they're sending out their minions. Last week we heard one, uh, the brother who is on the conservative radio, funded by white people. And we got another one this mm-hmm. week, Larry Elder. Uh, Larry Elder used to be on Fox News. He's contributed there. He's often the Negro they pull in when they want you, him to say something that they're thinking but wouldn't dare say. So they can point at him and go say right. he said it, and I agree with him. You know, Candace Owens and the rest of them like that. So Larry o- Elder right. is one of them, and uh, I, I want to give him the smackdown. You down on that, brother? I'm down, man. I'm down. All right, all right. Uh, we're gonna play for you the Larry Elder show, July 6, twenty twenty. Uh, that'll be followed by my brother The Rock, uh, and it'll finish off with Nikki Giovanni, the great Pax White. Peace be still. We'll be right back here on Abolition Today after this track. Abolition. Abolition. Craig is in Houston, Texas. Craig, you're on the Larry Elder Show. Hey, Larry. Hey, Craig. Uh, we spoke on we spoke on yesterday, and uh, you didn't give me a chance to really speak out. You were cutting me off often. But I wanted to ask you about the 13th Amendment of the Constitution. Do you believe that once you commit a crime, you should be considered a slave? Do I consider when you commit a crime, should you be considered a, a past slave? Yeah, a slave or a past slave, based on the 13th Amendment. Well, the 13th Amendment has an exception for people that have committed crimes. Yeah, so do you agree with the 13th Amendment that yes. because you yeah. commit a crime in your life, you should be considered a slave? The 13th Amendment doesn't say that. It said there should be no, no slave, no involuntary servitude in America, except for people that have been duly committed of committing a crime. That's what it says. I don't, I don't exactly. consider, I don't consider people who to have committed a crime and who are working or being forced to work, to work to be slaves. I don't, I consider them to be a, a criminals a criminal, who are working off their punishment. Michael Cole, is that what you think? I'll tell you what I think. It doesn't I, matter what you think. And what you do, Michael Cole, is you sit your ass at that announcer booth, you take off your headset, and you don't say a word. And I quote, you know your damn role, and shut your damn mouth. 
beginning was the Word, and the Word was death, and the Word was nigger, and the Word was death to all niggers, and the Word was death to all life, and the Word was death to all peace. Be still. The Genesis was life, the Genesis was death, and the Genesis of death was the Genesis of war. Be still, peace, be still. In the name of peace, they waged the wars. Ain't they got no shame? In the name of peace, Lot's wife is now a product of the Morton Company. No, they ain't got no shame. Noah packing his wife and kitties up for a holiday. Row, row, row your boat. But why'd you leave the unicorns, Noah, huh? Why'd you leave them? While our black Madonna stood there, 18 feet high, holding him in her arms, listening to the rumblings of peace. Be still. Be still. Can I get a witness, 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 he wanted to know. And Peter only asked, who is that dude? Who is that black dude? Looks like a troublemaker to me. And the foundations of the mighty, mighty Roman Catholic Church were laid. Hallelujah, Jesus. No, they ain't got no shame. Because they killed the Carthaginians in the great Appian way. And they killed the Moors just to civilize the nation. And they just killed the earth and blew out the sun in the name of a God whose genesis was white. And war wooed God and America was born. Where war became peace and genocide patriotism. And honor is a happy slave because all that killing these rhythms. And glory hallelujah, why can't peace be still? The great emancipator was a bigot. Ain't they got no shame? And making the world safe for democracy were 20 million slaves. No, they ain't got no shame. And they barbecued 6 million to raise the price of beef and cross the 16th parallel to control the price of rice. Ain't we never going to see the light? And champagne was shipped out of the east while kosher pork was introduced to Africa. Only the torch can show the way. In the beginning was the deed, and the deed was death, and the honkies are getting confused. Peace, be still. So the great white prince was shot like a nigger in Texas, and our black shining prince was murdered like that thug in his cathedral, while our nigger in Memphis was shot like their prince in Dallas, and my lord, ain't we never going to see the light? The rumblings of this peace must be still, be still, be still, all black people, ain't we got no pride? Man, I love me. I love me some Nikki Giovanni, man. Oh, man, I love that woman. Nikki said the great emancipator was a bigot. (laughs) (laughs) She put me in mind a lot of Mary Baraka with the way she was rolling with that one, man. But I thought that was a perfect reply to Larry Elder's foolishness, man. What what I think. Nobody cares what you think. You gonna think the Constitution in the new language? Oh, man. Like, really? oh man! Yeah, Nikki, I need, I needed that right there, man. Mm-hmm. I really did, man. And Larry Elder needs to slow his roll and shut his mouth. Because <laughs> he don't know what he's talking about at all, man. He, he never thought about it. You can tell from that. So he's just going mm-hmm. with the flow. Of what would white make people say? What, what would racists say? Well, that's what yeah, I'm gonna say. It, it, it sounds so good, rolling off the tongue. Sounds eloquent. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it it ignores so many fallacies. I mean, even if you just deal with the basic language, you know, uh, people are convicted for a crime when they're innocent because we know that the Sixth Amendment is a myth. You know. 
So you have 95 to 97% of cases ended in plea bargains. So therefore, people never get their day in court. And most of them are sort of like, because they've gone through bullpen therapy and they're just tired of it, they want to go home. You know, and in fact, as many cases uh, outline, the key driving factor behind a plea bargain is how much time a person has to do. So they're negotiating. Look, I can go home and all you want me to do is just say this. Yeah, well, that actually makes that person someone convicted of a crime. It doesn't say whether they committed it. That's what he added in there. So we can't say, well, because you committed a crime. Yes. I got some news in from Brother I uh, behind enemy lines. He said he sent some university professors to listen into the program tonight. So if you're a professor listening into the program, what's happening, bro? How you doing? <laughs> what's up, sis? <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, I hope we, so. I- we, we keep it real as hell right here on this program because it is very real. This is a crime against humanity. We're, we're charging slavery and genocide, and we're backing up what we're saying, and we're solving the problem. With or without You said Yeah and we'd love to hear the input as well You know give yeah. us a call uh, 515-605-9814 Press 1 on the dial We'd love to hear from you Because we know that As this movement continues to grow This is going to eventually be taught In classrooms across the country In universities and law schools everywhere We're going to have to bring this up So Let's get the conversation started. Yeah, it's creating a whole new battlefield. You know, people are going to have to, in law, they've got to learn now more about the 13th Amendment because it's going to be challenged at every turn now. You know, we already got challenges going on in Colorado, uh, so they're going to challenge these slave-like conditions. So the attorneys need to be trained in that. I've sat before quite a few university professors and lawyers and attorneys and found that, you know, they're not much different than anybody else when it comes to whether they knew or not that slavery was still legal. Most people just take things for granted, like the 13th Amendment. They go by what they was told, even when they read it. And you remember on the 150th anniversary, uh, we had senators who was on national television. Uh, one of them, the senator, I can't remember who it was. But anyway, he, he read it out loud. Right there with a big sign of it And it never dawned on him that it said Except for prisoners duly convicted Like it just right past them Over their heads you know what I mean And and to think that nobody would exploit A loophole is ridiculous (laughs) Right I mean we, we exploit loopholes all the time Just in everyday life In our relationships between Individuals People exploit loopholes you know, I mean, if you think of a, a child where they're told, you know, be you know, be in the house by the time the street lights come on, they're gonna find a loophole in that. You know? So right. it's it's almost like human nature to find a loophole in something. Well you didn't exactly say this or you didn't exactly say that. So when you take something where it can generate billions of dollars every year. I mean, what was it when when uh, convict leasing kicked in right after the passing of the Thirteenth uh, Amendment and leaving that loophole in there? What was it? Seventy three percent of Alabama's economy came from convict leasing. Yeah, but you know, some to large it was only like ten percent. But immediately after right. they passed it, you know, they started using it. It's almost as much as eighty percent of their 
uh, economy was dependent upon convict leases. Yeah, and then you had other states that say, you know what, I want to get down on some of that. I mean, look at states that came that became part of the union after 1865. They walked right in and put uh, uh, exception clauses right in their constitutions because they said, look, I want to get down with that too. Isn't that right, Colorado? <laughs> you know? I found, you know, I've been doing the research on that because that's some of the presentation I'm doing for the Free to 13th uh, event coming Thursday. I think Thursday is the date I'll be on the 27th. I believe you're going to be on on the 26th, right? Uh, so any, any no, I'm on the 28th, Wednesday. 28th. Oh, okay, okay. Right, I'm on the 27th. Uh, 27th so is Tuesday. I've been looking at all of the, the um, states that have exception clauses. And then I would look at when their state constitution was last ratified with that exception clause in it and when mm-hmm. they started using convict leasing. And I found that many of these states would use convict leasing first and then just a few years later pass the laws required to make it legal uh, so that they couldn't get anybody mm-hmm. to challenge it. So like Alabama started using convict leasing in 1846 but they legalized it in 1901. Uh, Arkansas started using theirs in 1874. They legalized it in 1867. California, 1851, they began. They legalized it in 1880. And it just kept going like that. Like that, that was the pattern. They would use it, make that money, and say, oh, we need to make sure that this cannot be defended against. So let's put it in our Constitution. Right. Even in Puerto Rico right. in 1952. And that one blew my mind when I read the Well, yeah. I didn't read it. It was read to me by Dennis. <laughs> yeah, like Dennis was like, yo, Puerto Rico got an exception clause. I'm like, what? And then he read it in Spanish. And it, it's, wow, 1952, they yeah. put an exception clause for slavery. That's, yeah, that is, that is amazing there. So when someone sits around and says, oh, but that was so long ago. Get over it. Oh, I shouldn't be held accountable for what my ancestors did. What? Blah 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 blah. Yeah, this, 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 you know, you know that's what they say. Well, two things. One, uh, Georgia, for example, their constitution was last ratified in 1983, so they all know what's up in there, even up until modern times. And two, I right. was raised by a woman who was raised by former slaves. My my great aunt right. Grace Brown, God rest her soul, was raised by former slaves. The uh, Robinson family, family who had come from Georgia to New Jersey and then took her in and raised her up. So that's only one generation between me and, and, and slavery right now. So I don't know what you're talking about a long time ago. Right. <laughs> Man, right. it's just been 50 years that we've had the right to go to school with y'all. What are you talking about? I saw you know, the I have only signs in my lifetime. Exactly. Exactly. So... <laughs> but that's what they say. Yeah, because well, they're just going by calendar years. They're not looking at the practices that went on. Yeah. Because slavery has never ended. So how can you say it was so long ago when it's still what? happening right this very minute? Someone's Tell being me. dragged off to the box or refusing to work. If you, if you would explain the the why it's incorrect to go from slavery to Jim Crow in the narrative that we now 
present, which is commonly presented. Well, without getting into my presentation, because you know my presentation is going to be on convict leasing, but convict leasing is that linchpin because it shows you the transition. It's okay. The enslaved people were let off the plantation. You immediately enact some of the most craziest laws ever, just so you can turn around and rearrest them, take them into the jails, and then lease them back out to the plantations. And then the plantation owners were treating them the same way that they treated them as when they were enslaved. So that's the first iteration of it. The show intent. That's the most important thing. It shows intent. Because if the 13th Amendment intended anything other than what it did, convict leasing wouldn't have been able to happen. True that. True that. I would like to add two pieces of evidence to this, uh, what we're presenting here right now. One is a letter that was sent from Abraham Lincoln to Alexander H. Stevens. He sent it December 22nd, 1860. It was just prior to the secession. And this is what he said to him in this letter. My dear sir, your obliging answer to my short notice just received, and for which please accept my thanks. I fully appreciate present peril the country is in and the weight of responsibility on me. Do the the people of the South really entertain fears that a Republican administration would directly or indirectly interfere with their slaves or with them about their slaves? If they do, I wish to assure you, as once a friend and still I hope not an enemy, that there is no cause for such fears. The South would be in no more danger in this respect than it was in the days of Washington. I suppose, however, this does not meet the case. You think slavery is right and ought to be extended, while we think it is wrong and ought to be restricted. That, I suppose, is the rub. It certainly is the only substantial difference between us. Yours very truly, Abe Lincoln. That was his perspective in 1860, right after he had endorsed the Corwin Amendment. You know, we put him up as this Mm -hmm. pedestal, as the guy who freed the slaves. He was the guy that sold everybody out to the best... He would have kept us enslaved if he could. He was a white supremacist and was very clear about that. And he just, you just heard me read in his own words what he told the South that you want everybody to be able to own a slave. And we're like, nah, let's use this convict leasing thing that we've been putting together over here in the North. Y'all should check it out. It works pretty well. All you got to do is criminalize their ass, put them in a prison, work them to death. You ain't got nothing to worry about. So we fight between who controls slavery, the state. Or the individual. So that's and the, the compromise was, yeah, and the compromise was the Thirteenth Amendment, where it was you can compromise, end it and restrict it at the same time. At the same. So time. both parties, yeah, both parties, you know, reached an agreement. Say okay, and then all we got to do is, you know, we come up with this convict leasing, and that way. We can keep our, or in fact, we'll grow our economy, because as you just pointed out, where the when chattel slavery was about 10%, and it jumped up into 60, 70, 80, 90%, and 
of the economies in many of the southern states. And the northern states started jumping in on it. So it got to expand, but also the the restriction was kept there. We'll just restrict it to those convicted of a crime. We just Mm -hmm. keep changing the laws to make it easier to convict the person of a crime. We'll start doing plea deals to where now we can guarantee ourselves 95% of the people that we arrest are going to be convicted of a crime. You know, they, man, they thought this thing out well. They laid out a great well, plan. Between 1864 and 1868, the prison complexions completely flipped. They went from 80 mm-hmm. and 90% white occupied to 80 and 90% black occupied. Just in that four-year period uh, from 64 to 68 so you know the intention mm-hmm. the purpose it was all right there and just prior to that letter that he sent in the year he was elected 1860 he had uh ad- adopted the, the corwin amendment and the corwin amendment was unlike the 13th amendment in the fact that there was no exception clause it simply stopped anyone from taking slavery out of the constitution verbatim it said no amendment shall be made to the constitution which will authorize or give to Congress the power to abolish or interfere with any state with the domestic institution thereof, including that of persons held to labor or service by the laws of said state. And he sent out letters to at least five different governors in the South saying they should support that. Yeah, institution, an American institution. They talk about institutions all the time, right? All the time. Well, that's one that they've always kept going. They've always kept it going. And as our brother said, as our brother said, Mm -hmm. the 13th Amendment is the most racist monument ever created. The most racist monument ever created. You know, I said this thing went global before, right? I'm going to give you an example of that. Right now, out there in Nigeria and Lagos, you just saw the uh, military opened fire on protesters, right? Killed several protesters mm-hmm. who are protesting against SARS, these military police that are just abusing and murdering people, right? And then I went and researched right. the prisons to find out that now they're using for-profit prisons. The prison population is quadrupled. They didn't even have a concept of prison until they got colonized. Like, it wasn't even in their culture <laughs> to have it. Like, they usually let the families... Or the, the local leaders deal with those things, you know what I mean? But now they have right. 240 prisons, and 200 of them were built in 1960. So that's when the concept of prisons came to Nigeria in 1960. Suddenly, 200 prisons were built up out of nowhere. And they went from like 7,000 people now to as much as I think it's 60 or 80,000, somewhere around that. Uh, but they're using for-profit prison industries in Nigeria, and the military is backing it, making this money on it, and the people are sick of it. And rather than being able to get their voice heard, they're getting shot down in the streets. And this, at the heart of it all is a for-profit prison company that is American freaking made and exported. You know, That's Max, you, you, you said 1960, right? Yes, two hundred and nineteen sixty. So, in nineteen sixty, Nigeria got its independence. See, <laughs> and then built two hundred prisons immediately. <laughs> Walked in the door with it. 
It sounds like you what they did that? in freedom after the earthquake. Yeah, freedom from Britain. Okay, we're going to turn around and we're going to, we're going to send out these special units. And now look at where it's gone. So the very year that they gained their independence, they created all of these prisons. 200 prisons in 1960. And they're not the only ones that did it. Turkey did the same thing. Uh, several years ago, they made the announcement that they were going to build over 260-something prisons in Turkey in order to house dissidents. So they were planning on filling up 260-some-odd prisons, and they actually built the majority of them already for that very purpose. And then and you see, that was around the time that Trump decided to pull out the troops, and now they're at war with the Kurds, and Kurds are filling up the, the dissidents that they said. For-profit prison systems, you know, you make an enemy, and then you put the enemy in the cage, and guess what? The taxpayer pays you for all of those people in cages. That's modern slavery. You're not born a slave, but you can certainly become one, and you're a reusable resource in today's modern slavery because 75%, as much as 75% of people end up right back in the prisons after the release. The recidivism rate is that high. I think it's 50 and 75%. (sighs) State, uh, federal, and state, a reusable mm, resource. Mm, mm. Reusable resource. <laughs> and, that you just, know, that just sounds so funny hearing a phrase like that. Reusable resource. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's, that's what it is. That's, that's what you know, is. when you're dealing with property, you know, in this uh, this uh, green age. You know, and they're talking about renewable energy. The one renewable energy that there's never any talk about is that within the prisons. Human beings. Because that's the renewable energy that's getting them the most revenue. You know, people get on me sometimes because I often talk about the racial aspects of it very much. You know, first of all, like I said earlier, I was hip-hop. I'm also black. You know what I mean? So it is a personal thing with me. And then I also understand how the numbers work. We've got like 145 million white men in this country. You only got about 20, uh, 20 million black men in this country. It's a huge difference. In the prisons, you have uh, about the same many white people as you do people of color. So it, it's actually a little bit more for people of color. I think it's 60% when you add in all the people of color versus 40% white people. But, you know, you got 144 million men in that pool that you're taking it from. There's only 20 million from here. Right. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing in state after state. You know, New Jersey, I think they're like Every 17% state. black, 17% black population or something like that. And they're being incarcerated at a dozen to one. Every state is like that. So the racial aspect is certainly there. It's it's a targeted group that has always been targeted. Why do you got to deny that? Like slavery never happened, and it never happened because people were Africans. And then genocide never right. happened, and it never happened because people were natives, indigenous. That was the key. Race right. was created as a construct to justify slavery and genocide. Race didn't exist before that. Everybody was about nationality or religion or, or Tribal identities There was no blacks and whites and reds and yellows And browns that was something that was made To justify Slavery and genocide And it's still uh, What's what's the guy's name Uh, Johan What was was his name 
uh, Johan Blooming Stump Bacchus. Gaffer Gaddis. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Johan Stumpbitch. He created the uh, racial uh, construct and it caught on. Yeah, it I can't really remember off the on. top of my head. But it did it cut off. And, and they realized this was the way to keep them separate. Keep us from unifying against these uh, small elitist oppressors who are running everything, including a slave trade, a global right. slave trade. Man, time is flying today, ain't it? It sure is. And, uh, you know, just a reminder to anyone calling in or that's listening, you know, via their browser, uh, give us a call, 515-605-9814. Press 1 on your dial if you'd like to be heard and, you know, want to join in the conversation, you want to speak on slavery abolition. Yeah, reach out to us. So, yeah, uh, I mean, Max, I was looking at uh, – oh, I'm sorry. You had something to say? No, go ahead, brother. Say what you say. So I was looking at an article earlier this week, and, you know, when it comes to the law, I like to follow a lot of the cases dealing with the law. And the article came from Business Insider. It's entitled, Police in All 50 States Are Using Secret Tools to Break Into Locked Phones, and they're using them for cases as low-level as shoplifting records show. So, of course, we know the 13th, or I'm sorry, the Fourth Amendment supposedly or allegedly protects you from unlawful searches and seizures. And there have been many cases where the courts have upheld the right to the cell phone providers to not provide them with information to unlock people's phones. So, evidently, a company called Upturn. Uh, it's a Washington nonprofit. They've come up with a way to crack into the phones. And so police are using this technology, much like they're using the technology on the drones that they're flying over protests that use facial recognition or, you know, that they're using to scan license plates. They're sitting in hidden places and scanning people's license plates. So this is just another iteration of it to where, more than 2000 <laughs> sorry more than 2000 police departments across all 50 states have purchased these high tech uh, tools that can crack into the locked encrypted smartphones and the only reason they found out about this was through uh open uh open records requests and the, the company that did the open records request was upturn i misspoke earlier Man. upturn is not the one making the technology but yeah, so this was going on in secret, and it was only because of these open public records requests that it came out. Blatant Fourth Amendment violations. You see, that's yeah. the whole thing with these people. Yeah. They they want to seek permission rather. I mean, they want to seek forgiveness rather than permission. You know, at right. any level, that's how it works. Just do it. Pay the price afterwards. You know, and what's the price usually? Some little pieces of paper that they got to pass around that we actually gave them. It's terrible, yeah, and it, and it's and it and it already, you know, because of course those that are like the naysayers, they'll say, oh, but it can stop terrorism. Oh, it can stop this, that, this, that. But as the article <laughs> even points out, you know, just someone for shoplifting. Well, you know, seventy-five percent of the terrorism happening in the United States is white supremacy. White supremacists are doing it. Yeah. So is that who you're targeting? Yeah, they're not targeting them. They're not targeting them. 
See, and they call this progress. <laughs> this is progress. As a matter of fact, since it's about eight thirty, let's play a little bit of a music break and and talk a little bit about progress in the music. And then when we come back, uh, we'll have a little bit more conversation, take any calls if somebody does call in, and then finish out with our Bridging the Gaps segment for this evening. Uh, So coming up, I'm going to play 13th Amendment by Curbside Worldwide with Astro, Guillotine, Fire Empress Stone, Douche the Shit, and it also will be introduced by James Baldwin and finished off with Malcolm X. We'll be right back. Abolition. 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 What is it you want me to reconcile myself to? I was born here almost 60 years ago. I'm not going to live another 60 years. You always told me it takes time. It was taking my father's time, my mother's time, my uncle's time, my brother's and my sister's time, my nieces and my nephew's time. How much time do you want? All your progress, your progress. Y'all prepare this land for the humble and the meek. Babylon comes to take over, committing murder upon the street. Innocent lives murder, and you talking third degree. Uh, over and over, we see history repeat. They bought us drugs, bought us guns, bought us war and disease. Murder was the case, but they turned the other cheek. So I say it loud, I say it proud, man. Fuck the police. Yeah, they harassed me because I was brown. Asked the white girl if she's safe. Told her, watch her for these hoodlums. This ain't the best of place. Had them reaching for their guns. While my niggas was at ease And my niggas they ain't playing Yeah they know they is the beast We just trying to get our day on Trying to make it on these streets Without equal rights and justice There ain't gonna be no peace It's all over social media Can't tell me you don't see Ain't gonna hold this inside of me So fuck the police New details in that South Carolina shooting A police officer seen on camera Shooting and killing an unarmed man Officer Michael Slater now charged with murder Fired from the force, ABC Steve Osasami is a little bit older, I would have been a soldier, marching next to Martin Luther King. If I was just a little bit lighter, I wouldn't be a fighter, I wouldn't have to want for everything. And you think I'm a little bit too mad, cause look at all that I have, it could be worse, you don't see what I see. I don't see, I don't see that this life ain't up to me. A little child standing on the blocks are full of pain Tears in the ocean forming puddles in the rain They judge a skin color, not the contents of her brain They easily could kill a man, refuse to say his name The system ain't broken, it ain't meant to work for us The government is lies and police we cannot trust This ain't nothing new, this what this country's born to do Violent from the jump, but they don't want to face the truth uh, Under God, indivisible with liberty you say the pledge, but don't see it in your history. In your books, you don't teach about the misery. What you did to indigenous, the memory lingers. Your fingerprints staining our energy. Can't hide from the pain and the imagery. We never shut up, and they ain't shutting us down. They try to bury our voices, planted seeds in the ground. Come up. Now a Sachs police officer has been charged with murder for his role in the death of an unarmed black man in the American city of Minneapolis days of unrest. The police station was set on fire overnight and officers... I was just a little bit older, I would have been a soldier, marching next to Martin Luther King. If I was just a little bit smarter, wouldn't be working this 
uh, social media is, oh, the media is trying to uh, create hatred amongst the races, and they're trying to divide us. No, it's because we have cell phones now to actually show you the things that we've been telling you about all along. You know, <laughs> the stuff has always been happening. Like, it didn't start with Rodney King. Maybe that was, you know, many people's first interaction with seeing police brutality or something of that nature. But we've been seeing it. Uh, you know, I recall many things from when I was a little child and didn't even know what I was looking at. But I knew it was wrong. I knew something was wrong. Even when I went to see uh, Cornbread Earl and me as a child, you know. I'm sitting in the movie theater and I'm crying. Everybody else crying, you know. So, yeah, man, you know that it, it really wears on you. It really does. And then when you talk about youth, where they haven't fully developed yet, they haven't, or many don't have the coping mechanisms, you know. So they start getting filled with despair, especially when they're seeing people their age, left and right, getting gunned down in the street, getting dragged off to prison, just people preying on them. And when you see things happen, like on camera, and still nothing happens, nothing happens, yeah. Like, wow, what am I, what am I? I got a one in three chance of going to prison. (laughs) Yeah, one in three chance to go to prison, you know, very high odds of being of being of dying of Killed gun by violence. Cops. Yeah, or gun yeah, violence. Man. Just this year alone, in the first eight months, it was 168 black people killed by police. Just black people. 168. Right. You know. And as we, we covered. Stop, bad, bro. I was going to say, as we covered a week or two ago, how the numbers of you know uh, police-involved shootings and police killings. Of individuals has increased during a pandemic. Like, during. how is that happening? How is that even happening? That's something we're gonna have to find out next week because we come up to the yeah. conclusion of our program in the last segment. We got about five minutes left with the time that we get uh say whatever we got to say before the end of the program. Uh, but it's not the actual end. You know, Yusuf and I like to do like y'all and listen. <laughs> so we'll sit back and listen to the ancestors' words. And, and this week, you know, it's me speaking. I'll be reading uh, Brother William Powell's uh, speech about war okay, okay. during slavery. So I'll leave that to you to introduce later uh, in the program. In the meantime, I want to remind people that we are in the midst of the Free 13th uh, virtual rally and event every day starting tomorrow. We're going to have speakers inside and out of prisons who will talk about modern and past slavery and how it all connects. Tomorrow is Kent, Nick Evans, Jamelia Land, uh, Kamal Allen. And then the day after that will be myself, Brother Hashima, and Melina from Nebraska, Melina Cohen. The day after that will be Brother Benu out of Alabama, Brother Yusuf right here, Nube Brown uh, from the San Francisco Bayview, and a black newspaper, and then the final day is going to be right here on our network on Abolition Today, during live from the plantation. That'll be Thursday with uh, Ivan Kilgore, Kinetic Justice, Malik Washington, 
Savannah Eldridge and Brother Dennis Febo will be taking us home. So be sure to tune in every day. Register through the uh, Eventbrite link. Everything we talked about, including the Eventbrite link, is available on our Abolition Today page on Facebook. So anything you heard us talk about today, we got the proof to back it up right there for you to do your research as well. And tune in every day and hear that, and especially Thursday for the conclusion right on Live from the Plantation here at Abolition Today. Well, you said a mouthful, Max. I mean, <laughs> we got a lot going on, man. A lot going on this week. Uh, don't forget to check into our archives at Abolition Today for anyone that maybe just tuned in today and you'd like to hear more broadcasts. We're available at abolitiontoday.org. We're also available on all uh all the popular podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, which has just been bought out by Pandora, so to be on Pandora's platform soon, and also CastBox.fm. So, uh, Max, you got a quote? Well, I do want to answer a question. A few people were wondering, what is the Supreme Council's election? And, you know, <laughs> I'm always playing not, the title. They're not yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm always playing with titles and double and tron days. So today is our 33rd episode. So uh, in Scottish Rite Masonic uh, practices, a 33rd degree Mason, Scottish Rite Mason, is chosen by the Supreme Council. And you know, so there's that right there, our 33rd episode. So we don't. We said this is a masterclass, right? So that's 33. Degrees of this master class right here right. And right. we're in the middle of election season You know with another supreme Council being uh, The those super Delegates and delegates who will choose Who gets to be president So it was double and trying day that's the reason Why I called it what I call it. And uh, I do have a not a quote but some advice That I'd like to pass on That was given to me by my mentor Amiri Baraka and he said you know, as artists, we walk through the world trying to figure out how things work. It's up to us to understand how the world works because it's working on you every single day. And unfortunately, many of us walk through the world never knowing and never wanting to know, and that's truly ignorance. So what we here are doing here all the time is trying to understand how this works so that we can explain it to you and give you some shortcuts and get you to the point where you never forget that what we're dealing with is Slavery and genocide Alright well I'll see you guys next week uh, Where we'll be on the air With uh, Mark Charles The abolitionist candidate president As well as a few other callers And uh, always bringing in that hot music And poetry for y'all to enjoy And to learn from You, sir. Yes sir Peace out Max love you brother So I'd close out with Spirit of Nikki Johnny, Nikki Giovanni, because I just love her so much. She had one quote that always stuck with me, and she said, "I hope I die formed by the life that I tried to live." And so, you know, when I when we talk about abolition, and you know, you hear people here, you and I, we joke around, we laugh, we play good music on here, but the content is so serious and deep that. Sometimes we have to laugh just to keep from crying, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's 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 my quote there. Uh, I know we're short on time because I want to hear 
you know, your your uh, reading of abolitionist William P. Powell in the time of war, there is no law. And so I just want to uh, let everyone know that we'll be back November 1st, inshallah. And as Max said, we'll have it'll be our uh, pre-election special broadcast. And so until then, remember to join the movement to abolish at abolish slavery dot us and subscribe to our abolition today youtube page for all the news information and music you hear on this program so until next week thanks for tuning in think about abolition today peace and blessings be upon you abolition abolition a speech by william p powell abolitionist published in the liberator october 18th 1861. The speaker addressed a recent essay noting that slavery had become morally and ethically understood in the U.S. as Negro slavery. In this sense, only one form of slavery was right and any other form of slavery was considered wrong. The government could then condone enslaving one segment of humanity and denounce and abhor enslaving any other. If slavery was admissible, he argued, then enslaving white people should be admissible as well. He also addressed the current conception that slaves were content in their condition. Fellow citizens, it is with no small degree of pleasure we give our consent to preside over the deliberations of this patriotic assembly because we believe that it is the duty of every citizen of whatever complexion, however humble, to throw the whole weight of his influence on the side of the government under which he lives, because notwithstanding the invidious distinctions so prevalent all over the country against our race, for no color of crime but for the crime of color, we equally feel the burden of our country's trouble in common with our heretofore highly favored fellow countrymen, because the signs of the time clearly indicate that the non-slave-owning states are now reaping the bitter fruits of their base servility to the interests of the slave power. Because to use the language of another, if you fasten a chain on the ankle of another, a retributive providence will surely fasten the other end around your own neck. If the doctrine of enforced unrequited labor is a holy thought and wholesome thought, then it is right to enslave white as well as black men. What's good sauce for the goose is most certainly sauce for the gander. If it is right to enslave black men in South Carolina under the U.S. Constitution, then it is right to enslave white laborers in Massachusetts and put them, their wives, and their children on the auction block and sell them to the highest bidder. The Richmond Inquirer thus speaks on this topic. Until recently, the defense of slavery has labored under great difficulties because its apologists, for they were mere apologists, took halfway ground. They confirmed the defense of slavery to mere Negro slavery, giving up the slavery principle and admitting other forms of slavery to be wrong. The line of defense, however, is now changed. The South maintains that slavery is right, natural, and necessary, and does not depend upon differences of complexion. The laws of the slave states sustain the holding of white men in bondage. Ex-Senator Downs of Louisiana thus spoke. He said, I call upon the opponents of slavery to prove that the white laborers of the North are as happy, as contented, as comfortable as the slaves of the South. In the South, 
The slaves do not suffer one-tenth of the ills endured by the white laborers of the North. Poverty is unknown to the southern slaves, for as soon as the masters of slaves become too poor to provide for them, he sells them to the others who can take care of them. This, sir, is one of the excellencies of the system of slavery, and this the superior condition of the slave over the northern white laborer. Now listen, such fellow citizens are declared purposes of the lords of the lash. We, as uncompromising abolitionists, contend that chattel slavery is a violation of man's inherent God-given right, that no system, custom, tradition, usage, precedent framed into law except for crime is a justification for the enslavement of any of God's children. The election of Abraham Lincoln to the presidency is only a pretext for secession. The great contest now going on all over the country, disguise it as we may, is between slavery and freedom. Slavery sectional, freedom national. Also, the disintegration of this American Union, now almost divided north and south, the one, by God's blessing, to be forever free, and the other, slave only for a season, till the Negro Goths and Vandals, like the white slaves of classic Rome, wipe out the accursed sin in rivers of blood. Of course, we are all deeply sensible of the existence of this terrible war terrible in its brutality as well as destructive in its ravages. The revolution of 1776 was nothing in comparison with this of 1861. Then it was only against duty levy, levied on tea and the Stamp Act, insignificant of themselves, which the colonies successfully resisted. Now, the final struggle is that the South slave states not satisfied with the pro-slavery guarantees of the U.S. Constitution, which for 82 years has secured them their property in human flesh, now demand greater security for the preservation of Negro slavery. Of the African slave trade shall be legalized all over the American continent by unalterable law forever, never in the history of our unfortunate country have the stars and stripes been held in greater veneration by abolitionists, even by colored men then, now. For one, I must confess that heretofore I have held in utter contempt the United States flag, because it gave us no protection, and have often explained in the language of the poet Campbell, United States, your banner wears two emblems, one of fame, Alas, the other that it bears remind us of your shame. The white man's liberty in types stands blazing by your stars. But what's the meaning of your stripes? They mean your Negro scars. But now the stars and stripes, with the exception of 15 slavery stars, which are rapidly approximating to the sun center of the world's political progress and soon to be lost in the immensity of freedom space, never look more beautiful, more hopeful. It represents, in this fearful crisis, the express will of the free states, the total annihilation of Negro slavery. Fellow citizens, I believe that God's own time, long wished for, has now come. Slavery must come to an end, and that speedily, whether by bloody massacre, exterminating the slave owner, or by peaceful means. God only knows, but by whatever means, in God's name, let it come. The great change now witnessed 
all over the free states is truly encouraging. Pro-slavery, flunkyites, old-line Whigs, Democrats, political abolitionists, Garrisonians, Republicans, disenfranchised colored Americans, and non-residents all buy for with each other in support of the government and look up to the stars and stripes as the John the Baptist of the slaves coming Redeemer and will defend it in whatever way their own convictions of duty may dictate to the bitter end. We regret the necessity which caused this extraordinary distinctive meeting. It should not be so. It is no fault of ours that we are not this day mixed in this imminent deadly breach. It is no fault of ours that we are not standing shoulder to shoulder in battle array with men of the North to put down the rebellion of the South. It is no fault of ours that we are standing still with folded arms whilst government is straining every nerve in the maintenance of its legitimate constitutional authority. We stand now on the same broad ground of our common humanity where our fathers stood in 1776 and 1812 and are ready and willing to follow their illustrious patriot example. But why should government stand halting between two opinions? Why hesitate and stoop to pander to the sickly sentimentalities of conscience and the Constitution? If custom makes law, then the past history of this country's struggle fully justifies government calling into active service every muscle without regard to the texture of the hair which adorns the head or the color of the cuticle which covers the body, we are not begging this question. Neither do we mean to rummage among the musty pages of history to find a precedent upon which to hang a doubt. Neither do we care for legal or illegal technicalities or constitutional prohibitions. These all sink into insignificance as compared to the fearful exigencies into which the country is now plunged. There is law, a higher law, if you please, a law as old as the Bible. In time of war, there is no law. This law should be more particularly be now enforced to the very letter because the nation is at war with itself to put down high treason backed up by 800,000 slave-owning rebels against 27,700,000 Freeman, and the Constitution authorities. In time of war, there is no law, only the law of superior force. It is only when the rebels are whipped into submission and sue for peace that their sober second thought will be made to obey the powers that be ordained in the form of physical force. Hence, we advocate this law of necessity because it obviates the slow process of doubtful legislation. Proclaim this law and 50,000 able-bodied men of our race will not wait to be asked to take up arms to defend the liberties of the country. Proclaim this law of liberty, and 4 million of our race will rise up from the sleep of death and leap into the front ranks of freemen. Proclaim this law of strength, and our country will not present the shameful spectacle to the sneering gaze of the world as being too weak to defend herself without foreign aid. Proclaim this law of retaliation, and we shall have given the rebels in exchange a rolling for an Oliver. Proclaim this law of righteousness, and this afflicted, but we trust, repentant nation will then have vindicated the cause of truth, justice, and liberty. 
Mr. Powell's remarks were received with considerable applause. October 18, 1861, William P. Powell, abolitionist, published in The Liberator. Abolition. 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 Abol